In the old linear model, you may have been able to get away with producing a couple commercials per year to raise awareness for your brand, but two commercials a year is not going to help you drive those measurable outcomes in a performance-focused CTV campaign. That's Alana Roth, Senior Customer Success Manager at Mountain, our sponsor on this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast. Later in the show, Custom talks with Alana about how CTV video is transforming creative strategies for marketers and advertisers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, I'm really excited. We have Oliver Zach. He's the co-founder and CEO of Mad Rabbit, which makes tattoo care products, among other things. They just raised a boatload of money, which is very exciting, and we get to learn about what the big expansion plans are. So, Oliver, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Kale. Absolutely. So first, want to give just a little bit of background about Mad Rabbit and how it all started? Sure, yeah. Um, so Mad Rabbit was founded in college at Miami University um, with really no ambitions greater than, than being a little side hustle before my partner Salam and I graduated college. Uh, we had two or three tattoos at the time, uh, noticed specifically the red flag in the healing process that there were no cleaner natural alternatives uh, as a way to heal your tattoo. So we got to formulating and came up with our first product that didn't actually address that specific pain point, but was an all-natural spot moisturizer for tattoos to help bring old tattoos back to life. Um, saw a lot of success off of that for the first two years, did about $3 million off of that single product. Uh, and quickly got to expanding our product lines into things like uh, traditional tattoo aftercare, which our soothing gel is our first product in that realm, and daily maintenance products such as an SPF 30 mineral base that uh, was our first kind of entrance into daily skincare for the tattooed consumer. Got it. How, so did you, how did you make the first formula? Did, were you, are you, you a chemist? No, I'm not. <laughs> I actually called my mom. <laughs> she had years of apothecary experience. And I was able to leverage her and her knowledge base for, you know, what ingredients are good for healing a tattoo and um, what ingredients calm the skin. And uh, I kind of took my initial list of things that I wanted the product to evoke. And she gave me back a list of ingredients that would make it work. So we made that first batch in a crock pot that we ordered on Amazon, um, sold it through Facebook ads for that entire summer and eventually offloaded it to a private label manufacturer. Got it. Got it. And so pretty much it was all Facebook ads and Shopify, I'm imagining. Very much digital focused to start. Um, Facebook was our only channel through the first two years of business, uh, at which point we then expanded a little bit into Google. We launched our Amazon store, which is obviously a big, a big launch, um, but it's only now that we're really dealing with kind of the in-person advertising and what it means to be a brand in, in the real space. Got it. And so did you have, like, what did you think when you were graduating college that you were going to be doing? Was it, did you think you were going to be getting into this type of business, some e-com business, or did this just happen to skyrocket and that's it? Salam and I both had full-time jobs. So, you know, we, we were excited about entrepreneurship. I think we both wanted to be entrepreneurs one day, but we didn't think this would kind of be our ticket to do so. Uh, we both graduated on full-time jobs. I went into M&A consulting. He went into corporate finance, um, as two good finance students do. <laughs> and yeah, Mad Rabbit was just cooking in the background. And I really owe a lot of credit to Salam during that period because he was the one managing the ad account um, and things like that. So yeah, it was truly a side hustle that we didn't expect to, to land where we did. What did it take for you to realize it wasn't a side hustle? Uh, 
hitting the $3 million mark off of one product, I think was a huge validating factor. I think it gave us conviction in our product market fit uh, and allowed us to then start trying to prove out brand market fit. So is this a brand that could then expand product lines and, and be a meaningful solution to tattooed people beyond our first initial launch? Um, outside of that, the callback from Shark Tank was definitely a big milestone for us. Um, and that's definitely where it made it a little bit easier to quit my job and tell my parents. So, <laughs> so did you not quit your job until after Shark Tank? And yeah. first we should start, you were on Shark Tank. I know this, but I don't know if our listeners know this. So yeah. want to give the full story? Sure. Um, so Salam applied to Shark Tank uh, year two um, off of an Instagram ad. So they do like castings just to get more people in the door. He applied on a whim and we ended up getting a call back from a casting agent said we've never had anything this exciting nothing really focused on tattoos in the tank before come pitch so after several submission videos and several rejected submission videos where they told us we didn't have the energy we needed and it's tv right so you need to have you know big expressive personalities and they say 110 percent energy boils down to like 65 percent on tv so it was a lot of repetition in that sense which helped us figure out our pitch and work through the kinks. And it was an important part of the process, but they ended up sending us then to Vegas where we sat in a bubble for 10 days during COVID, both working full-time jobs. I was like moving my mouse and, you know, pretending like I was online and really focused on knocking the pitch down and um, went into the tank, got a deal with Mark Cuban for, it was $500,000 for 12%, uh, which is really exciting. We were pretty much speechless after the episode. It took a ton of takes to get like the post, um, the post interview done because <laughs> Salam couldn't get any words out. Uh, but that was really a pivotal point for the brand in terms of becoming a household name. Even even though the Shark Tank audience, I would say, is not a highly tattooed population, it's very likely the aunts and uncles that have nieces and nephews with tattoos, and it's great for gifting. So I think it was a great um, opportunity for us to gain broader brand awareness which then set us up pretty nicely for the retail expansion that we would get into more this year. Yeah, I wanted to ask, I, I, we've had at least one, I found a couple of Shark Tank alums on here, and I always ask, the, the Shark Tank effect, I, I know it's real, but what did, how did it translate for Mad Rabbit? Did you see sales go through the roof the next day after it aired? What, what, what was the impact? I think, um, so that was, it aired back in 2021. Uh, I think we did about $250,000 in attributable sales that weekend. So a, a very meaningful bump for sure. And was it mostly, or D I know it was a while ago, but was it all DTC? Was it Amazon? What were you seeing? All DTC. Um, this is really our first year of meaningful retail presence. So in February, we rolled out to GNC nationally. Um, as we'll talk about later in August, we're rolling out to Walmart. But prior to that, we've been 95% online. Got it, got it. And how? what is your Amazon strategy then? Because I know that that has changed over the years, right? Um, it has. Uh, Amazon is definitely, we've seen some of our Shopify customers transition to Amazon customers. I think a huge benefit of that is the two-day shipping. Mm -hmm. um, people love the Prime badge. I do too. I actually order MadRabbit from Amazon as opposed to our You're, you're burning your margins. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, it's, you can't beat the two-day shipping, and especially, I think, it tends to be people who wait until the last minute to order their tattoo aftercare, say that their appointment, oh, it's later in the week, I'll pick it up later, but, um, you know, you get to 48 hours before, and you're like, oh, shit, I gotta, gotta get my aftercare. So that's the importance of us selling in tattoo parlors as well. That's kind of another third leg of our uh, retail strategy is having that point-of-care billboard space where the artist can say, 
the best thing for your tattoo is at the front. Go pick it up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask because I, I was reading before just about all of your different channels and it seems like tattoo parlors is clearly an important one, but a very, not a very connected one, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, how have you approached finding out the right tattoo parlors to be in? How do you scale that when it's not like they're very networked, I imagine? Yeah, it's very fragmented, more so than... I would say hair salons are yeah. more so than car dealerships. Like it's, there's 30,000 in the U S uh, as of last time I checked and nobody owns more than three or four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a difficult strategy and every shop is different and every shop owner is different. Some of them are owner operators. Some of them have never done a tattoo in their life. Um, some of them were brought up in an era of tattooing where, you know, it's really hard knock and, you know, it doesn't matter what you put on your tattoo. You just walk out and you deal with it. Um, so it, the answer is it depends. Uh, we have a few things though. I think our most successful strategy is drafting our pro team, which Aaron has been helping me out with a lot recently. And it's the premise there is to land the best, most premier tattoo artists in the United States. Um, they have a ton of followers in their own right, but they're not only the end consumer that's getting the tattoos. A lot of artists also look up to them because they're the best. They're making the most money. They're succeeding. So they want to see what kind of products that they're using. So winning over those artists on our pro team and um, educating them on our products and really turning them into advocates of the brand, uh, I think has been a really good way to cast a wide net as far as brand awareness amongst artists go. Because keep in mind, we started as a direct-to-consumer brand, not a professional brand. So we're only just now kind of circling back and and servicing the artist community with additional product launches. How do you determine who is the right fit or who is the best? And what what's what's the playbook with that? We have kind of a tiered system. So our, our pro team is 10 or less artists at the moment that fit the build of, you know, they're incredible content creators. They're extremely well-established artists in their specific style. Um, they like to do events and like to be people-facing there's criteria that they need to hit to be a professional artist. And we, in most cases, have already had very long-standing relationships with them. Uh, we have a second tier called sponsored artists. So uh, a little bit lighter requirements, but you can still be featured on Mad Rabbit social media and take advantage of our platform and showcase your tattoos. And then the third piece of it is our ambassador program. So we have an ambassador program that has both consumers and artists in it. Both of them are very big fans of the brand and want to help out. Um, but they, most most of their contracts revolve around uh, creating content, posting UGC, sharing the brand, and they get awarded brand points, which they can then redeem on free product, merch, etc. Got it. And how, like, what are, how does, with the first tier, is that like a, a very traditional, you're paying them to talk about your product or how does it all work? Um we pay them, but I would say we probably pay them more for the content burden that we put on them. Um, they already use all of our products. Most of them already sell it in their shops. Quite a few of them actually have their own tattoo parlors that they retail our products through. Um, but what we're, we're more interested in is really compensating them for their time that they spend with us. Um, so it's And it's a nominal check. It's probably they can make that much money in a couple tattoos. That's, not, that's clearly not why they're doing it. It's to be a part of a brand that is moving the future forward uh, as far as tattoo care. So this is a space that before us, petroleum jelly was the leading recommendation for the last 40 years. And the issue with that is um, it's too occlusive. Oxygen does not get to the skin quickly enough and it does not self-replenish, which easy way to say it is it makes a scab. 
Um, scabs are great if you scrape your knee. It doesn't allow dirt or bacteria into the body. But with tattoos, your ink actually gets lodged in the scab. And when your scab falls off, you get ink loss. So I think a lot of them are just very excited to be a part of a brand that is thinking about how to heal a tattoo better. Uh, at the end of the day, if they use our products, their tattoos are going to look better and their clients are going to be happier. So I think it's that. And I also think it's the massive platform that we have to leverage and provide them. So we have a million followers across our socials, which is awesome. And part of that is people love looking at tattoos, but it also affords us the opportunity to choose photos that were submitted from our pro team or our ambassador program or our sponsored artists. Um, we no longer need to kind of search for that content. It's, it's more of just like a self-replenishing funnel. Was it difficult to gain credibility from the, from the tattoo community? Um, I imagine, like, I think you said hard knock earlier, and I've, I've met a few tattoo artists, and I know that they sort of run the gamut based on cities and different things like that. So being, you know, a brand, I can imagine some would sort of rankle at, at working at, with a brand. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But no, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. So when we first entered the industry, the biggest uh, barrier we had was that we weren't tattoo artists. Yeah. Tattoo artists, many of them have a problem with, you know, outsiders in quotes coming in and making money off the backs of tattoo artists and it's to a certain extent that is what we're doing and that's why it's very important that we add value back to these tattoo artists and the tattoo community um, but beyond that I think over the course of the last three years I've seen firsthand whether it's the conventions I go to or the artists I'm talking to the general opinion of it used to be look at these two shark tank kids coming to mm -hmm. monetize our industry to, oh, these guys aren't so bad and their products are pretty decent, to this past year at conventions, it's been nothing but love. So I think it's been a process of, of giving back and being a platform for these artists to showcase their work, um, as well as just, you know, kind of being an ally in terms of uh, random things popping up. I don't know if you remember the Christmas Day bombing in Nashville, but an RV parked outside of a, a block in Nashville and exploded the entire block. One of the tattoo shops was a business that was completely leveled. So we were the first and highest donor to rebuild the shop. It's kind of like little things like that and giving back to the community that show that we're not in it for ourselves. We're really trying to help bring this industry into the future. And natural ingredients have always had a place in skincare. Um, definitely more popularly in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. right? Um, but for some reason, tattoo care never really caught up with that. So I think we were really just trying to bring the, the space into the 21st century and it's really resonating with artists. Got it, got it. Was there ever any pushback with the fact you were on Shark Tank? Was anyone? Oh yeah, they hate, I mean, they, <laughs> that was a great thing for the consumer, but it was horrible for our rapport with Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So how, was it just those small things? That's, that's how you overcame it and just being there long enough that they realized who you were and what you're And having were. conversations, like just speaking with artists and putting a face to the brand. Like we're not just the Shark Tank kids. Like I'm actually a, a decent person. And, <laughs> you know, I like to let that shine through. So it's a lot of it's just been, you know, having the opportunity to sit down with artists. And some of the people who were the biggest haters originally were, are now like huge supporters of the brand. I think we've really done a good job of bringing people full circle. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's and Modern Retail's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by Mountain, we speak with Alana Roth, 
the company's senior customer success manager, about how CTV video is transforming creative strategies for marketers and advertisers. This strategic shift towards performance on the living room screen has really placed a greater importance not only on the creative that brands produce, but how they produce that creative. Purpose-built creative is made with a mindset that takes into account both the artistry necessary for producing those stunning TV ads, as well as the business goals that those ads are meant to accomplish. And because of how performance capabilities of CTV, brands really need to be highly intentional about how they are planning and producing their ad creative. It needs to be purposefully built with performance campaigns in mind from the very beginning. On top of understanding the intentionality behind purpose-built creative strategies, retailers need to ensure that they are taking note of performance goals first and then building out the creative process from there for the most optimal results. You can't produce purpose-built creative without first knowing your performance goals. So at the top of your campaign, it's really important to be clear about what you want your campaigns to accomplish, right? These details will influence a huge part of the content of your ads. And that could include things like what KPIs will you be measuring, which target demographics are you looking to reach, um, and what do you want and hope to learn about your audience. And these performance goals um, that you identify will directly inform the creative production process. Retailers have many methods at their disposal with CTV and when using a purpose-built creative strategy. They can utilize it to more effectively target audiences, play around with unique formats, and much more. Every ad needs to hook the audience within the first three to five seconds. This is especially important on CTV as that hook kind of rips viewers' attention away from their phones and back to the TV screen. For example, if you know at the start of your campaign that you want to attract Gen Z and baby boomer audiences, then you can kind of strategize your creative productions. You produce multiple variations of your hook tailor-made for these different target audiences, right? By producing variations, you can stay creatively agile, really tactfully swapping out hooks to drive increased performance if the ad isn't pushing the needle on your objectives. When it comes to formats, I think unboxing videos are always a popular style for retailers specifically. Um, this style where the viewer watches someone open a package and explore the products inside, I think establishes a layer of authenticity within your creatives because it feels user-generated as if the ad was kind of organically made by an actual customer. And these unboxing uh, videos are also a great format for purpose-built creative, right? As you can feature a wide assortment of products for various evergreen or seasonal promotions, really easily swapping out on-screen text, graphics, CTAs to drive better performance. You've been listening to Alana Roth, Senior Customer Success Manager at Mountain, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Modern Retail Podcast. I want to talk about retail expansion. You mentioned Walmart, which is super exciting. But you've also, I know that you've done like both the tattoo parlors, but also been in Urban Outfitters. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So what, how has, what has the step up been? Was that, 
Was it just who would take you or was there an idea behind where you would place your products in mass retail? Sure. Um, so the tattoo parlors, we decided to kind of hold off on building that channel out for a couple of years for the very reasons that we just talked about. Okay. There's quite an aversion to us originally. Um, so we, we started very direct to consumer and then we try to figure out where is our audience, right? Where's the biggest customer overlap with the retailer? Urban Outfitters does a great job of, of testing new brands, um, and they have a very young urban living demographic, which, by the way, has huge crossover with tattooed people yeah. these days. Um, so they were our first retailer that took a chance on us, um, and we're still selling in them today. I think we're in all of their doors in the U.S. and Canada. Um, from there, it's kind of been about convincing other retailers to build a category around us. So we weren't really interested in having just our tattoo balm on the shelf anymore. We want our tattoo balm and our numbing cream and our soothing gel, body washes, lotions. We want the whole brand represented in a retail space moving forward. So there was a bit of a lull. I mean, it took, there's a, I believe a two year gap between Urban Outfitters and our next major retailer, which was GNC. Um, we convinced them to create an entirely new tattoo destination within GNC, uh, which also makes sense, right? Because the gym, health, fitness mm. consumer cares about what they put in their body and what they put on their body. And they care about how their body looks, especially if they have tattoos. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a new partnership that we rolled out in, in February and we're really excited to watch mature. And then where do you go from there? It's beauty and mass. I think we're kind of the next two boxes to check. We're still working on the beauty retailer. Um, I think that will come hopefully this year. But we also convinced Walmart, the big dog, to create a category around us. In their words, they're creating a tattoo destination with Walmart, with Mad Rabbit at the helm. So they took a chance. I think a lot of what they saw in potential was partially coming from Amazon and the success that they had by creating a new category. It's a lot easier for Amazon to create a new category than it is a brick and mortar retailer. Yeah, they just make a link. Exactly. So. Um, Success from that and just general category growth, right? So 10 years ago, 20% of U.S. adults had at least one tattoo and pushing 46, 48% this year. So tons of normalization and cultural growth happening at the same time. And I think Walmart just decided now is the right time to do it. I, I want to go into that sort of category creation, but let's start with the GNC because it sounds like it was category creation there too, right? Mm -hmm. How... Well, where did it physically live and how did you make sure that people knew what it was? Because retail is difficult. It that. is, yeah. And especially, so GNC's has corporate doors, but it also has more franchise yeah. doors. So even at that point, it's it's a little bit tough to dictate where your product's going to sit. And I think it, it does kind of vary depending on the store setup, but they've increasingly been investing in skincare in general, um, which is kind of where I think we tend to fit within their product assortment. Got it. And with Walmart, is that going to be the same? Or how, how do you create a space in retail for people who don't even know what they're looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. And we're still proving it out for sure. But um, I think a big key is, is screaming tattoo on the signage opportunity that you do have, mm -hmm. right? I've never walked down a Walmart and seen anything related to a tattoo before. So if I'm a tattooed person, if I'm debating what body wash to buy, and I see got tattoos or something that, you know, very clearly evokes that we're a tattoo brand, mm -hmm. I think, the sheer foot traffic should allow for a very successful partnership. Um, outside of that, we're going to have to get creative on, on advertising. We've historically been a very digital focused brand. I think that's our strong suit, but now we have the opportunity to do out of home and TV ads and more top of funnel things that will 
help people get more familiar with the brand as they walk down the aisle of Walmart. Have you done that yet or that's just in the pipeline? It's like right now, like right happening now. as we speak. Yeah. Like, so how are you thinking of how out of home? Is that going to be billboards? Is that going to be connect? Like where, where are you going to be investing in? It's, it's going to be a variety of things, billboards, buses, poster ads, or um, what's a weed paste ads, things yeah. like that. Uh, very geo-targeted, right? So we're not going to place those things in a market that doesn't have a couple of Walmarts nearby that carry us. But um, yes, it's an exercise we're going through right now. Got it. And how are, like, can you talk about, is it going to be its own unique type of campaign? Are you What kind of creative are you going to be using compared to what you've been doing digitally? That's a good question. Um, I think specifically within Walmart and on the shelf, I think it's going to have to be very uh, before and after focused, right? So very clearly demonstrating what the product does for your tattoos. Um, So that's where I think before and afters are very effective. We have done some billboards in the past with some of the um, sports talent that we've worked with before. So we've shot NFL players and thrown up billboards to them in their home city. Um, I think that's a good thing as far as building, you know, brand alignment with a market, right? So for example, people in Buffalo like Mad Rabbit because we did a billboard with Stefan Diggs, their favorite wide receiver. So I think you can be a little off the cuff with it, but at the end of the day, it still needs to be a creator for the brand. So I think it'll probably be a mix of product focus and and lifestyle depending on the market. You talked a little about product expansion. Can you go a little bit more into that? How how many new products have you added and how are, are you going to continue with that? Or is it just now channel expansion? Uh, both. So the way to think of our products, we have pre-care, aftercare, and daily care. Um, so any of our existing nine products will kind of fall within one of those categories. We just recently, for the first time, launched our pro category. So we're finally developing products that are better than what tattoo artists had been using before. Our first launch in that was an all-natural and vegan tattoo glide. So again, replacing petroleum jelly as an alternative in this space. Um, a tattoo glide is a product that the artist uses on every single tattoo. They smear it over the canvas or your skin, and it ensures that the needle does not snag throughout your tattoo process. So we're expanding in that way. We're kind of opening up a whole new side of the marketplace that you know won't sell in Walmart, but will service the tattoo client. Um, and then we're also working on some exciting patch innovations. So we have a launch tomorrow, actually, which is really exciting, that is in our aftercare line. It's a repair patch that instead, instead of walking out of a tattoo parlor wrapped in saran wrap and mm-hmm. your, your arm hurting and you have to get home and wash it and um, then just hope you don't scrape it on anything. We came up with a patch that not only speeds up the healing process, but it also is a deterrent from bacteria and dirt getting into the, the open wound. With the pro lines, do you, do you think of those as revenue generators or more like just ways to stay so that you're top of mind with the tattoo community? Both. Definitely both. Um, I mean, we have we have great margins on it, but we offer it to tattoo parlors for back bar for very cheap. Um, and to your point, like if an artist really likes the glide that they're using to apply the tattoo, they're a lot more likely to recommend us for aftercare. So it's kind of like a, a flywheel effect. Mm-hmm. And but like with, with, since you're launching in big box, how do you think the channel mix is going to change? Like, do you think Walmart is going to be begin taking a huge amount of your sales and mm. the tattoo, like, cause I imagine right now tattoo parlors make up a big amount of your sales, right? Actually not at all. Oh so really? Like, oh, that's so our smallest wrong. market. Really? It's, it's a new channel for us and we haven't had a product that, what it boils down to is tattoo parlors, generally speaking, don't sell anything. Yeah. Um, unlike salons or barber shops where, you know, they have pomades and mm-hmm. hair dye protecting shampoos that they can sell you. 
tattoo parlors, because there hasn't been a brand worth selling, typically don't sell anything to date. So prior to launching our pro products, uh, we've had to convince them that retail is a viable business option for them. So it's kind of like you have to convince them that they can sell and then you sell them the product. Um, now that we have this pro line, I think it does open up the market in a, in a lot of ways. I think a, a lot of brands will be, or sorry, a lot of more tattoo parlors will be open to retailing other products. So I'd like to see a, a lift in that. But I think we're only in 600 or so as of today. What are you thinking in terms of packaging with Big Box? Uh, we This is just top of mind because we wrote a story literally today about how as as brands go into new retail, especially ones that were more digitally focused, mm-hmm. they realize they have to do a different type of storytelling. And yours is especially true because it's the thing that has never existed in Walmart before. So are you changing your boxes or is it all just about the signage explaining what you're doing? Yeah, no, we're, we're rolling with it. I think we have, our packaging evokes kind of tattoo. You can tell it's a tattoo product when you look at our, our packaging and it says tattoo all over it. And we definitely had to, cross our T's and dot our I's to make sure that it did scream tattoo. But I think a lot of the kind of eye-catching side of it, outside of it being mostly black packaging, there's been a huge trend towards white and colorful Mm -hmm. and the aisles like totally overstimulate you if you walk into a Walmart now. So I think we'll stand out from kind of a being a sheerly black product. Um, But outside of that, I think the signage is really going to have to speak volumes for us. We only have a few more minutes left, but I want to just talk about the other big plans that you have for the rest of the year. So it sounds like Probably this retail expansion is the big one. What else, what else are you thinking about? What are the big things you need to achieve this year? I'd love to get more tattoo parlors. As we talked about, it's the point of care and winning over that recommendation from a tattoo artist um, speaks volumes for customer lifetime value down the line. If they, if your artist tells you to heal with Matter Rabbit and you do and you like it, you're probably going to check out our skincare too. So it's a very important part for us to win over. Um, and then outside of that, I think I'm also most excited for putting an office down this year. So we've been a completely virtual company for the last four and a half years. Um, we're looking to put an office space down that can really serve as a production hub for these tattoo artists. So all of them are, you know, kind of celebrities in their own right. They have YouTube channels, great social media, produce a ton of content. We want to build an office that has all of that technology enablement ready to go so that they can grow their platform powered by Mad Rabbit. So they get the increase in, in platform and viewership, et cetera. And we also get to be the brand that helps them do it. So I think it's kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. Got it. I have, a, I have a follow-up with the first one. If you said that tattoo parlors represent such a small portion of your revenue, how are you attributing lifetime sales for the people who learn about them through tattoo parlors? Like, it seems like that's a difficult task to do to make sure that you know that it's actually working and this yeah. is worth, worth your while. Right. I think it'd be, it's tough to attribute on a case by case basis, but I think we'll probably be able to identify a trend in a shop, not selling anything. They decide to try our glide. They then decide to start to retail our products. If their retail orders continue to grow, I think that's kind of how you would have to track the trend. Um, because realistically you you don't want to send them down the street to Walmart if you sell the product at the front of your door. So as they continue to make those recommendations, I think winning over them as a retail partner is becomes a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And lastly, like, do you, what are you seeing competition wise in terms? Cause as you said, this was a pretty untapped area tattoo yeah. skincare. Are you seeing a lot of copycats these days? Are you, you haven't yet? No, not yet. Thankfully. I mean, we have, of course we have copycats and like, I think three weeks after we launched on Amazon, there's like a Chinese copycat that like yeah. totally knocked off our logo and all of that. But there has not been a brand entrant 
in the space that has has warranted any sort of like competitive strategizing or anything like that. There's legacy brands that built their business by going for the t- through the tattoo parlor first, and they're not very popular with the end consumer for that reason. Because um, the only way to purchase them or to like have heard about them is to go get a new tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of went the other way around, and yeah, I, I I just there's no specifically consumer facing brand that that we're worried about right now, which yeah. is cool. You mentioned how um, Walmart's the first big box, but you also wanted to get to more beauty retailers. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Like I imagine an Ulta or a Sephora, it seems like a natural fit to me. What do you think it takes for them to finally sign on? And I'm surprised they didn't do it before Walmart, but like what, what's going on there and what do you think they need to see? So Alta in particular, I know has at least tried slash carries two other tattoo care brands. Uh-huh. One of them was a David Beckham brand that was just completely neglected and went defunct and fell off the shelves. And I, I haven't heard anything from it in like three years. <laughs> uh, the other one is a competitor that quite frankly, I would have expected to do more volume through through Ulta and I think they probably share that same expectation Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like swinging twice and being scared to take your third swing and strike out Um, but we have we're we're back in early talks with them again so I think there's a chance that they take a stab at us and I think there's a place for tattoo care and beauty right that's not just men that we're selling to right women have tattoos too and a lot of women shop at Beauty. But I also would say that beauty stores are now opening up to men more so than ever before. And well, so true. I think that like, I think you're totally right that a lot of women have tattoos, but also it strikes me that you I, you go to a Sephora, you go to an Ulta and you see more like men there looking for a face wash or something like totally. that. Um, so anyway, well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Oliver. Thank you so much for joining. Likewise. Thank you, Kale. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week. Bye.